funny. Yeah, good morning, Luke, Andrea, Marcus, Kelly, Patrick. Good morning to you. Just, this, just that whole general area over there. Mm. Yeah, we're going to do... Um, we're going to do third verse, same song. Is that okay? Is that all right with everybody if we do the third verse of what we've been singing for the last couple of weeks? We'll talk about this morning the fact that God prefers mercy over judgment. It's who He is. Um, if you want to, open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going, to, <clears throat> we're going to start there this morning and probably not going to leave there. I just don't feel like we're going to be able to make it out. Just because. Uh, while we're turning there, what, wasn't worship good this morning? Yeah. Yeah, it's like I've been telling you guys for the last year. Um, worship is a 45-minute therapy session. And you, you could be a totally changed person by just giving your heart in worship every week. Like even if you didn't do anything else, you just give your heart in worship every week. And what I mean by give your heart is, I mean, I mean move beyond being a spectator. If you're, if you're here and you're just a spectator in worship, you are missing the biggest opportunity in the entire week to connect with Jesus. And that would be a darn shame. However, if you're here and you give your heart and worship, what I mean by that is you become, you, you move out of spectator, you move beyond the fact that Glenn's a great guitar player and Sam has an incredible voice and Hannah sings amazing stuff that's not on the screen. Once you move beyond that and you become a participant, you know, that's when you've, that's when you've given your heart and that's when the Lord starts to change things. It's, it's just heaven's therapy. It's like, we're open. Yeah, uh, this is it's the beginning of therapy. The beginning of mental health is realizing that there is a God and I'm not Him. And there's something about worship that just, there's something about worship that just allows us to get in that spot. He's God, I'm not, you're fantastic. And because you're fantastic, I can be fantastic too. All right, you guys in, uh, you guys in Hebrews? Before we do that, I, I just felt like I needed to do this as well. Um, did you guys notice that there was like a theme? That the Lord has a theme running already this morning, and it, was, it started in worship. Did you guys notice that the love of God is the theme in worship? Like, we were singing it, there was like rivers, and every song was about the love. Yeah, um, yeah. When I, I just want to teach on this for a second, even though this isn't the message. Um, you guys probably noticed that at, at one point, I, I don't even know, I, I can't even remember at what point, but you guys remember when Hannah just started singing things that weren't on the screen anymore? Like we were singing the hymn, and then suddenly we weren't singing the hymn anymore? But it got better? You all remember that? Um, yeah, that's, that's just called singing a new song. Maybe that's new to you, but uh, if, you read through the, if you read through the Psalms at all, David says over and over, sing a new song to the Lord. And we take that here to be very literal. And that means just sing something new. It means sing from the overflow of your heart. It means just sing in the moment. Just, just right, out of, right out of your gut. Just sing what's there. And um, the cool thing about a lot of the worship band is that, that their hearts are overflowing, so it's not hard to dig. And, they don't have to dig and find something. It's already there. It just comes right out. Well, anyway, Hannah started singing about you know, about, you know, the, the rivers rising and all that. And um, I just want to give you guys some homework, if that's okay. If you've got a notepad, I just want you to write down Ezekiel 47. And this afternoon, I want you to go home, and I want you to read about the first 13 verses, okay? I was reading it while they were singing that, and it just knocked me out, okay? Ezekiel 37 is all about this river that flows. It flows from the temple, and everywhere the river goes, there's life. So you guys can look at that. I'm going to retie my shoe or it's going to bother me. <clears throat> and then we'll, then we'll get going with, with the message this morning. <sighs> Little things bother me. Like when, my, when I have one shoe that's tied tighter than the other, it drives me nuts. Can't even think about anything else. 
All right, we're going to read the first three verses in Hebrews. Okay, here we go. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's where we're going to start this morning. Before we get there, I just want to kind of review a little bit. For the last two weeks, we've been talking about the fact that God prefers mercy over judgment. We've been trying to, uh, trying to dig at and uncover the true nature of who the Lord is. And one of the things that we've been doing is we've been examining the Scripture and we've been listening to the Spirit. And this little journey we've been on has has allowed us, I hope it's allowed us to discover that God is the kind of God that in His true nature, He prefers mercy over judgment. What does that mean? It means He would rather dish out mercy than dish out judgment. Uh, And a lot of us have this, we've grown up with these concepts and these mindsets that really are prisons. it's, It's hard to describe in any other way. But when we, when we have a mindset that says, or a mindset that believes that God would rather smack me than heal me and redeem me, what, it, what, we're actually, what we're actually doing is we're giving a portion of our mind over in a way that will only end up imprisoning us in the long run. And so that's one of the things we wanted to uncover. I feel like what we're doing here for the, we've done it for the last two weeks, we're going to do it this week, and we're probably going to do it for several more weeks, is we're going to get to the heart of what the Lord's true nature is, and it's like, it's like we're cutting the cobwebs out. It's like we're, we're untangling, we're untangling a, a, just a, 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 a bunch of hoses. You ever, have, you, ever, you ever have like wires or hoses that get all tangled up? And, and, and you know, even though the wires themselves are perfectly good, the tangled nature that, that they find themselves in makes them useless for anything. And so the first thing you have to do is you have to untangle. That's what we're doing. We're just untangling mindsets, theologies, belief systems, and we're, we're trying to get down to the, to the roots of who the Lord is. So I want to tell you this morning, again, just like I've been telling you, that number one, God is happy. Number one, God is happy. Just let that settle on you. See, a lot of us have a concept that we've grown up with that God is mostly ticked off, right? A lot of us have a concept of God that says... He would rather be angry than be happy. The truth is, though, he, he's actually very happy. The other truth is this, that God is actually very lighthearted. He's happy. He's lighthearted. He's not judgmental. He would rather give mercy than give judgment. A lot of us have this picture of God, this image of God, that God is in heaven, and He's cooking up a big pot of judgment. You know, and He just keeps it going all day long. He lets it simmer for eons, because when it simmer, it concentrates and it gets better. It's like... It's like chili, you know, you can't eat one hour chili. You've got to eat chili that's been on there for eight hours, you know, and it's actually better the next day, right? Yeah, and we have a concept of God that says, well, he's, you know, he's the, he's the judgment guy, and he's in heaven, and he's boiling up some judgment, and he's going to dish it out. Oh, that's really not who he is. He'd rather extend mercy than dish out judgment. And when we have that kind of mindset, what, here's what ends up happening. When we have the mindset that God prefers judgment over mercy, when we have a mindset that God is mostly angry, and when we have a mindset that God isn't happy, or maybe he's maybe he is happy, but he's only occasionally happy, and he's only happy for the really good people. 
when we have that mindset, what ends up happening is a, 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 um, a belief system and a worldview settles upon us, and it's a belief system and worldview that will alter, it will alter our relationship to the, with the Lord to the point that we, that we ultimately end up in a, sta- in a state where, where uh, our belief systems and even the things that we begin to verbalize are utter misrepresentations of who the Lord is. See, if you start with wrong stuff, you can't get to right stuff. And, and, and the most true thing that we can say about the Lord is this. It's 1 John 4, 8. God is love. That, that is the foundational essence of who the Lord is. Uh, it, he, he is utterly love. There is nothing more that we can say about the Lord in, 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 in terms of trying to reduce it down and encapsulating it more than God is love. If you, if you grow up or if you, if you think that you know something about God's judgment, if you think that you have a theology about God's judgment, or if you have a revelation about God that includes only His judgment and His anger, if you have that kind of mindset apart or divorced from not just a theology and revelation of His love, but an encounter, like an immediate experience, an encounter, a life-altering, dramatic encounter with the love of God, you will end up misrepresenting the Lord. It's no other way around it. See, love is foundational. And, there, and this is one of the things that we've been learning is that there are foundational truths. Am I saying that the Lord isn't a judge? No, He's definitely a judge. Am I saying that He won't one day judge everyone and everything? No, He absolutely will judge everyone and everything. But His judgment and the fact that He is a judge is not a foundational truth to who the Lord is. The foundation of who the Lord is is that He is love. If we start with love, we will ultimately be able to look upon His judgments with perfect clarity. Okay? However, you cannot start with God as a judge and ever clearly see that he is love. It's a big deal. See, they're foundational truths. They stack on top. You can't start with God is angry in your foundation and you can't have walls that are built out of God as judgment and then stick a love steeple on top. It won't work. It, it just absolutely will not work. You, you cannot start with judgment and end up with love. However, you can start with love and you'll have perfect clarity about what judgment really is. That's where we're going. See, here's the deal. A revelation of God's judgment apart from a life-altering encounter with the love of God will lead me to be the older brother. Here's what I mean by the older brother. Y'all remember the, the parable that Jesus t- tells about the, um, about the wayward son who takes all of his money and runs off and he spends it on on women and gambling and ends up in a pig pen and he thinks to himself while he's in the pig pen, man, I had it better at my father's house. Even the servants had it better. And he says, I'm going to go back. I'll be a servant in my father's house. Y'all remember that story? Luke chapter 15, the lost son. Yeah, see, here's what happens. If we have, if we have a revelation of God is judge or God is angry apart from, and not, not, I'm, talk, I'm not talking about a theology of God is love, but I'm talking about an experience. If we have a theology of God is judge or God is angry apart from an experience, an encounter with his love, then we'll end up being the older brother. And here's what I mean by being the older brother. We'll end up, we'll end up in performance mode and we'll end up working for what we already have. We'll end up working for what... This is what happens when, when, we, when we miss... This is why like, having some clarity about who the Lord is is so important. If we have a misrepresentation of who the Lord is, it will alter our life today. I'm not talking about tomorrow, and I'm not even talking about heaven in the future. I'm talking about today. It will have a dramatic negative impact on your current life. This is why we have to have some, some, some understanding of who the Lord really is. 
So if I don't understand that the Lord is, is loving, kind, and generous in the beginning, if I don't have an encounter with His presence, if I don't feel His love, if, I could, if I've never had a life-altering moment where His affections came upon me, and I'm not talking about just in my mind, but came upon my body and my heart, if my emotions have never been touched with the fact that God loves me, then I will end up being the older brother. I will look at my other brothers and sisters and I will view them as the problem. I will end up working for what I already have and in the process I'll miss the party. Bummer, right? Giant bummer. Giant bummer. I'll work for what I already have. I'll see my brothers and sisters as the problem and I'll miss the party while living in the house where the party happens. Other people will experience the party. It will, only, it will only well up in me more bitterness and anger. So here's the deal. If I believe that God is angry, I will become angry. And in the process of becoming angry, I'll be justified in my, angry because, in my anger because I'll be able to point and say, well, God is angry. He is, an, he is a mostly an angry judge. And so it gives me license to be something that he is not. that's the reason that we're so big on experience around here at the vineyard we don't want to just have we don't want to just have a systematic theology of who the lord is we don't want to just have a systematic theology of the way things work um i'm I'm very suspicious of formulas um i'm the older i get in jesus the less i want anything that looks like a formula and the more i just want him you know and this is why we have to have an encounter with him this is why this is why we have banners over there that say, you know, we value the presence of God. You know, it's our, it's our, it's our number one treasure. It's why, it's why we take 45 minutes or an hour in worship, you know. People ask me sometimes, you know, about our services. Well, how long is worship? I just tell them it, it's as long as it takes. That's how long worship. We don't have rules. It's just as long as it takes. Sometimes it's 30 minutes. Sometimes it's an hour. And back in May, we had a service here. It didn't stop. We did worship for two and a half hours because that's what it took. We have to have an encounter with his love. Like, let's just do something fun. Why don't you just close your eyes? And I just want you to like survey the last, just survey from, from uh, today is August, no, today is September the 5th. Thank you. I'm goofy. Today is September the 5th. I just want you to survey from today all the way back to January, okay? Just, just go back. And I want you to, just pull up any encounter where you've had with his love. Maybe you were driving in your car. This is what happens to me. I drive in my car, and I won't even be doing anything, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will jump in the car with me. And I use the word jump because that's what happens. It just jumps in the car with me, and, I, and I won't even, the radio won't even be on, and suddenly I'll be crying for no reason. Anybody here have that? It's like, oh, man, he loves me. Yeah. Just find those moments, okay? That's the place where we have to live. You can open your eyes. Here's what I also want to say. I want to say that if in the, in the last nine months, if you haven't had an encounter with his presence, and if you haven't had an encounter where he was communicating his affection toward you, that's not a good sign. And I don't say that to bring up guilt. I just say, I'm, bring, I'm bringing that up to, to I, want to I want to paint out what the, what the center mark is for Christianity. You know what the center mark for Christianity is? The center mark for Christianity isn't believing the right things. It's encountering a person. 
You know, the, the bullseye isn't having your theology all perfect. The bullseye is having Jesus in your life. And here's the amazing thing. To get a little theological with you for a moment. See, Jesus isn't a dead guy. He's not a dead concept. He's a, he's a very alive person. And so if Jesus is an alive person, I need to be encountering the alive and present Jesus today. Amen? All right, so here's what I want to do. Let's look at the scripture here because it just really has been rocking me. And really, we're not going to get past this Hebrew scripture today. I can already tell. Um, yeah, so in uh, Hebrews 1, cha- chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. What's the point? I want you to take your pencils if you've got them or your pens, and I want you to underline in your Bible that little phrase there, in the past. Because what, 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 what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is this. Right from the very beginning of the book, he is telling us that, that in the past, God had one way of working with humanity, And in these last days, he has a brand new way. Why is that important? It's important because he prefers mercy over judgment. And it's it's important because the way that he used to do things has become radically different than the way he does things now. And the way he does things now is centered upon a person and it's centered upon Jesus. And I want you to think about Jesus just in the most general and broad context that you can. And I want you to consider, is Jesus mostly angry, mostly happy, mostly frustrated with you, mostly content with you. What is Jesus? What is he like? Is, he mo- is, is Jesus mostly interested in doling out mercy or is Jesus mostly interested in smacking you around? What, what is the life message that God is, is demonstrating and is, is putting out to humanity through his son Jesus? He had a way of doing things in the past. He has a current way of doing things now. It is centered upon his son. Let me, put, let me say it like this. Um, there was before Jesus there was, there was a way that God did things and the way that God did things in terms of speaking to his people is he would, he would give his message to a prophet any of you guys read the Old Testament? okay, no, I just want to affirm right now the Old Testament is God's word, it's great it's perfect, you can find him in it even if you never had the New Testament you can find the Lord and you can know him and you can encounter him and he can love you and you can love him even, even at that point but have you, any of you guys ever read through the prophets in the Old Testament and got this concept that God is angry? Anybody in here ever read the book of Jeremiah? Yeah, okay, I want you to consider this. The book of Jeremiah, they call him the weeping prophet. You know why? Because his entire life was, 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 was prophesying one judgment onto Israel after another. Okay, if you were to take the book of Jeremiah and you were to strip it out and you were to read it, and especially if you were to read it apart from the context of the other scriptures that are around it, and especially if you were to read it apart from the New Testament, you would get, you might get this concept that God is not real pleased, and then he's mostly angry. Um, do you guys remember the, the story of, of Moses, and he's leading the children of Israel, and um, they're out in the desert, and everybody's thirsty, and everybody's complaining and grumbling, and, and the Lord tells Moses, well, just, just speak to the rock, and some water will come out. Y'all remember that story? What does Moses do? He hits it, right? And this is crazy, all right? So the Lord tells Moses, Moses, I want you to speak to the rock, and water will come out. Moses is frustrated with the people. He gives them this big speech, too. He's like, you know, you people. He gives them the you people speech. And he takes the stick, and he hits it, okay? And water comes out. And then a little bit later, the Lord tells Moses. He says, hey, Moses, you know the whole promised land thing that I've been telling you about? And Moses is like, yeah. He goes, yeah, you're not going. 
You know why you're not going? Because you hit the rock when I told you to speak to the rock. What's the point? The point is, God was upset and Moses communicated to the people that he was angry. What's the point? The point is this, that sometimes, sometimes because of culture, because of our home life, because of our jacked up dad, because of our jacked up bosses, because of life is sometimes hard, sometimes even because of the history that we bring to the scriptures, sometimes even because, uh, because of the broken people who are in the scriptures, we can end up with a broken concept of who God is. So what the writer of Hebrews is telling us this, he's saying, in the past, my father used broken people to communicate to my other broken people. And in the process of communicating through broken people to broken people, sometimes, it's, we, apart from a redemptive, uh, a redemptive concept of who the Lord is and a redemptive mindset, we can end up with a broken construct of who the Lord is. Anybody in here ever experienced that? He's saying, he's saying, in the past, God used to take broken people, give them His Word, so that they could speak to other broken people. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And the point, is that, the point of that is this. The message hasn't changed. It's just that it's gotten a lot clearer, and it's coming through the perfected Son, Jesus. And so what we get is, in the Old Testament, we get dim shadows, and we get, we, get, uh, we get broken people speaking to broken people. When the Son, Jesus, arrives, we get the exact representation of the Father speaking to broken people. And so the, the picture of who God really is becomes absolutely crystal clear. And we can, see who, we can see who God is, what His nature is like, and what His preferences are by looking at Jesus. Making sense? Everybody with me? So today is a new day. Um, when the writer of Hebrews says that in the past God spoke to our forefathers through many times and in various ways, but in these last days He's spoken to us by His Son, He's saying that in the past God, would, God has taken the plurality of ways that He's spoken to us and he's, He has fine-tuned it to the singular person, Jesus. So just so I can be clear, I, I do want to say this. Am I saying that, that the Old Testament is uninspired? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Here's what I am saying, though. All of Scripture points to Jesus, okay? So let's not take broken, let's not take in, let's not take broken concepts that come from the directions and miss out on the joy that is in the destination of Jesus. That's one way we can look at the Old Testament. It, it's like the directions are pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the destination. Let's, let's don't get... Let's don't get hung up on, 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 on living our lives absorbed with, with the directions only and miss the joyful destination that is Jesus. I love what Bill Johnson says. Bill Johnson says this. He says, Jesus is perfect theology. You've probably heard us say that around here a time or two, right? Here's what he means by that. He means that if there's any part of your theology that can't be located in the person of Jesus, then you have a messed up theology. I think that's, that's just great. That's a great word right there. I'll, I'll carry the little Bill Johnson riff on a little further. 
he says it like this. He says, you know, Jesus is perfect theology. Any part of your concept of who God is that can't be found in Jesus is a, mes- is a misrepresentation of who the Lord is. And uh, Bill says, you know, a lot of times people will, after I share this, will come up to me and say, well, well, what about Job? And Bill says, well, Job's the question and Jesus is the answer. See, um, we, we, we are so comfortable. We are so comfortable with, with God being angry, with God preferring judgment, that we miss, we miss the plain word that's found in Jesus, and it is the mercy word. Here's what I want to do. I want to I take us through the scriptures. I hinted at this a couple weeks ago. I don't know if anyone did this or not. But we're going to take us through the scriptures, and I, want to, I just want to, I want to reveal again the nature of who God is through the person of Jesus, all right? Some of my favorite scriptures. This is Luke chapter 4, a um, couple verses. Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19. This is Jesus. He's, uh, this is his inaugural address. This is the very beginning of his, of his ministry. And he stands up in his hometown and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's judgment. Uh, favor, yeah, right? Did you catch that? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, it's the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's standing up in front of his hometown. He's grown up with all these people. He comes back. He takes Isaiah 61 out. And he's, when, he, when I say that he's giving his inaugural address, what, I'm, what I mean by that is this. He's laying out to everyone, this is, this is the target goal of my administration. And he's saying that my administration is going to be this. My administration is going to be one of anointing set upon me, and I'm going to preach good news to the poor. I'm going to proclaim pre- freedom to prisoners, and I'm going to, I'm going to allow the, the blind to see, and we're going, to release, we're going to release captives because now is the year of the Lord's favor. In the past, God spoke to us in various times and in various ways through the prophets, but now he is speaking to us through his son, and this is the message for today. So I just want to tell you guys straight away, um, today it's, it's the year of the Lord's favor. I mean, that's, that's the days we live in. We live in the days of His favor. Also, toward the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 through 25 says this, that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, large crowds from Galilee the Decapolis and Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. What does this scripture say about the nature of the Lord? Since he, it, it, it communicates to us that he loves, he loves setting things right. He can't stand for people to be sick. I, I love what it says there at the very beginning. It says, he was preaching... And he was preaching the kingdom, and he was healing every disease and sickness among the people. What is God trying to communicate to everyone, and even those of us in the room right now this morning, about his true nature? His true nature is, he doesn't like disease, and everyone who comes to him 
it is his will and his intent to heal them. You know, people sometimes are like, you know, we pray for the sick and, and sometimes we pray, you know, sometimes I'll end up praying for the sick uh, with people who are not vineyard people and, you know, it'll be their turn to pray and they're like, you know, to the sick person, they're like, well, Lord, if it's your will, heal them, you know, God, the doctor's hands. And I'm thinking, this is bonkers. We ca- I can't find anything in the scripture especially around Jesus, who is the exact representation of the Father. I can't find anything in the scriptures around Jesus that ever said, you know, it's just not exactly my will, maybe tomorrow. So, no, see, in Jesus, it's every disease and every sickness among the people. Now, the really cool thing about this for me is this. This is Matthew chapter 4, and this is the very end of Matthew chapter 4, and this leads us right into Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Y'all know that, right? And so a lot of times people will read the Sermon on the Mount, and they're like, dude, Sermon on the Mount's crazy. Jesus is all, like, intense, and he's telling us to do impossible stuff, and he's all uptight about things that are just natural, and he's, like, he's busting our chops about lust and divorce and anger, and he's telling us to do all these impossible things, and it just feels like a big, giant rule book. Anybody here ever thought of that? But the real point is this. This is, the, this is the preceding verses that lead into those, into those scriptures. This is, the, this is the moment right before the Sermon on the Mount. And what I want to tell you is this, that God's heart toward people is to show, them that his, show Him His love and affection for them. And then in the process of showing His love and affection for them in their bodies, in the moment, in today, He extends, he extends to them the ways of life. What's the point? The point is this, that if you don't get this, if you don't get this, and all you get is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, there's a really good chance you're going to have a misrepresentation of who the Lord is. You're going to think, man, he's just, he's judgmental. He, he sets a bar at eight feet and asks everyone to jump over it, knowing that no one can jump over it, and that he delights in it. We end up with this kind of concept, you know? Well, it's, it's impossible to not get divorced. Well, it's impossible until you realize that God hates sickness. He hates disease. He's come to set things right. He can't stand it when marriages are jacked up. And he is perfectly capable and able to put his healing touch on any situation. You know, it's impossible for me to not be a lust-driven person. It's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. What is the Lord like? Some more scriptures about what the Lord's like. Matthew chapter 8, first four verses. It says, And when he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him, and a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man, and he said, I am willing, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now this is awesome. This is the first encounter this man has with Jesus. This guy has leprosy. And when you had leprosy in those days, you were a total outcast, which, mean you, which meant you couldn't have fellowship with the rest of, of, of the population. You couldn't hang out with the rest of the people in the city. You couldn't hang out with even your family anymore. You were unclean. You were made to go live in another colony all by yourself with other lepers. Okay? And this is, for me, it, it's stunning. This guy's so desperate, but he's heard about the Lord, okay? So this is Matthew chapter 8. Most likely, he's already heard about the stuff that's been happening in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus heals everyone. And so... God's nature is beginning to get through to him. He, he begins to think, wow, maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus will receive me. 
he gets so bold about it that he walks right up to Jesus and he says to him, he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reaches out and touches him and says, I'm willing, be clean. Here's the stunning part. This guy knew that Jesus was a rabbi, okay? And when he knew that Jesus was a rabbi, what that means is he knew that Jesus knew the rules, okay? He knew that Jesus knew that leper guys don't come out of the colony and they sure as heck don't come and talk to the guys with the rules. Because the rules guys would tell them to get out and if they didn't get out, they might even go get some more rules guys and stone them. Y'all get the picture? Except what is God communicating to us about his intent toward people and his care for people and his affections for them. Man comes and falls before him and says, man, if, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, he doesn't just speak the word, but I love this. He reaches out and touches him. And I want you to understand, this guy had probably been living in a leper colony for a long time, and it had probably been years since someone who didn't have leprosy touched him. And the Lord's affections weren't just words toward him, but they were, it was actual affection felt. What does that tell us about who the Lord is? In John chapter 8, there's a woman who's caught in the act of adultery, and they bring her to Jesus because the teachers of the law, they want to, um, they want to test him. And this is, the very end of the, this is the very end of the interaction with Jesus. Jesus looks at the woman, and he says, At this, those who heard Jesus began to go, go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. And Jesus straightened up, picked her up, and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she says. And these are the words of Jesus. And these should be underlined in every Bible. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. What's the Lord like? See, the scripture in John chapter 8 says that this was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. So I want you to just imagine what that means. Everybody here knows what adultery is, right? She was caught sleeping with a man. Like, not just, not, it wasn't a story, it was the action. Someone walked in, she was having sex with a man who wasn't her husband. And they grab her. So what is it? Imagine the scene here, okay? They, bra- they, they drag her from the very act of, of being in bed with a man who wasn't her own husband. And they drag her into the street. <clears throat> there's a really good chance this woman was naked and maybe just had a bed sheet around her. Imagine how humiliating this was, okay? And, 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 the, rules, and the rules say we can stone her and kill her. And the, guys, and, the rule, and the rule guys, they came and they wanted to test Jesus. And, and he, he looks right at her and he says, well, woman, has no one condemned you? She says, no. And he says, neither do I condemn you. What's the point? The point is God prefers mercy over judgment. This, this is what the Lord is like. But he's not winking at sin. He's not just giving her a pass at sin. You see that? The very last phrase, he says, go now and leave your life of sin. One little comment. It's impossible to leave your life of sin until you've been set free by the Lord. It, it's, just, it, it's impossible to leave sin until you've had a love encounter with Jesus. If you've had a fear encounter with the Lord Jesus, you won't leave your life of sin. I, I, I've, met, uh, I've met lots of people um, from doing ministry for like 15 years. And most people, most people, Scripture says that it's His kindness that leads to repentance. Most people have come to the Lord because God has been kind to them. And I've met a few people, you know, more than a handful, several people over the years, 
who gave their hearts to Jesus out of fear? Anybody, anybody in here ever give their heart to Jesus out of fear? You're afraid of hell, okay? Here's what I found. I found that most people who give their hearts to Jesus out of fear, most people who surrender to the Lord out of fear of hell or just any other fear, I found that those people, for the most part, don't last very long with Jesus until, unless they have an encounter with his love pretty darn quickly afterwards. Because fear doesn't, fear, fear doesn't set you free. It's only, it's only an encounter with his mercy. It's only an encounter with his love. And, and really, that's, verse 11 is the appropriate kingdom response to people in tough situations. It's mercy first, and it's the mercy of God that sets people free from sin. One more example here. Um, Jesus is God's message. It's the way he speaks to humanity these days. And when Jesus is on the cross, it's his last prayer. He says, Father, forgive them because they don't really even know what they're doing. Okay? What does that say about who the Lord Jesus is? What does that say about who the Lord is? You've got nails in your arms and you've got nails in your feet. Somebody's taken a spear and stuck it through your side. And the prayer that you pray to your father is, Father, would you please forgive them because they really don't know what they're doing. What does that say about who the Lord is? You know what it says? It says this. It says that God would rather receive punishment than dish out punishment. One of my other favorite points in the scripture that really drives this home is right before Jesus was crucified, uh, it, it was sort of getting intense, and they came and arrested Jesus, and some of his disciples kind of followed Jesus to the little kangaroo court trial. And in the process of following the Lord, um, Peter's kind of hanging out because he really does love the Lord, and he ends up denying the Lord three times. And then after Jesus is 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 crucified and put in the tomb peter's so just destroyed by it all he just just kind of gives up on life and he goes back to fishing and then the lord comes out and grabs him and he says you know hey peter you know do you love my do you love me and he says well yeah lord you know i love you and he says well feed my sheep and the lord communicates to him three times for each one time for each time that he was that he denied the lord he communicated his love and affection and his he reinstates peter in the exact way that peter bailed out on him what does that say about who the Lord is? It says he doesn't give up on people. You know what I believe? I believe that the Lord is so committed to mercy. I believe that he's so committed to love. And I believe that he's so, so, committed, so committed to goodness toward his kids. I believe that if Judas hadn't gone and hung himself, that the Lord would have went and found Judas and would have kissed him on the cheek. See, the only, th- the only thing that can remove you from the Father's love is you. And I'm, I'm convinced to this day that, that if Judas had hung around, then the Lord would have went and found him, and the first thing he would have done was, would have been grab him and kissed him right on the cheek. And it wouldn't have been mocking, it would have been for real. A couple more things and then we'll be done. In 
In verse 2 it says, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. And I want you to underline that phrase that says, but in these last days. I just want to make one little comment here. The last day's message of the church is mercy. See, a lot of the church has the last day's message that's judgment. But the last day's message of the church is Jesus. And we've just gone through the, we've just gone through the gospels real quick here this morning. The message of Jesus, both in his words and in his actions... Because Jesus is the Word made flesh, both in His message and in His actions, His mercy. Let's look at verse 3, and it says this The Son is the exact radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I was growing up, um, this is the way I had this is the way I had Father, Son, and Holy Spirit divided out in my head. I had it like this. I had it that, um, I had it that Jesus was, was nice and friendly and cuddly. I had it that God was ticked off and that the Holy Spirit was weird. Y'all with me? And I and I had it in my head like that for years. I mean, I'm I'm going to say that I'm going to say that Jesus, Jesus was warm and cuddly, and the Father was mostly ticked off, and the Holy Spirit was weird. Probably up to at least while I was 25. Well, it was probably a little different. Uh, by the time I was 25, it was Jesus was warm and cuddly, the Father was mostly ticked off, and the Holy Spirit was, was interesting. That, that was like when I was 20. By that time, the Holy Spirit had gone from weird to being like interesting, and I want Him in my life. But, um, but it, it was probably you know, at least 25 or 26 before I began to realize that Jesus is warm and cuddly, and that He's full of mercy, and he has a heart of goodness toward me. That the Father is warm and cuddly. That he's full of mercy. And he has a heart of goodness toward me. And that the Holy Spirit is warm and cuddly. And that he loves me. And that he has a heart of goodness toward me. That's what, that's what Hebrews 1 chapter 3 says. It says the Son is the irradiance of God's glory. And is the exact representation of his being. That means just what we talked about a few minutes ago. If you can't see it in Jesus, it's not in the Father. Yeah, some of us have this concept, you know, that Jesus is, a, is our older brother, you know. That's what the scripture says. Jesus is our older brother, and he's the older brother who fights for us. And he fights for us because, because the Father's going to kick us, right, you know. No. No, Jesus is the older brother who fights for us because we have a Father who fights for us because we have a Holy Spirit who fights for us. It's like, it's three-part harmony. That's, that's the way I look at it. It's three-part harmony. It's the same song. It's just, gosh, it's three-part harmony. I should, have, I, should have, I should have Sam and Hannah and Kevin come up and sing three-part harmony, shouldn't I? That's what it is. It's the exact representation. There's agreement. Um, for years, I, just, I, I, I lived under this concept that, that the Godhead was mostly a schizophrenic firefight. That there's a war in heaven, you know? No, there's no war in heaven. It's absolute unity of purpose in heaven. You know, it's absolute harmony in heaven. Absolute harmony in heaven. And people, here's what I want to tell you. People, people who, are, who are touched by the harmony of heaven, they begin to be people who, who, who begin to put out harmony and hope. Um, it, it was put on display this week. We went and, we went and played this little show uh, with some friends in Louisville this week at this little coffee shop slash bar. And uh, throughout the night, um, 
it was me and Hannah and Glenn and, and, um, and Luke. We went and sang some songs. And throughout the night, we were there, and we were like, we were like maybe, maybe some of the only believers within a mile. And it, the night ended up being a parable to me. Um, and this is what, it, what, what it, the Lord ended up showing me. At one point in the night, there's this woman, and her, her artistic expression was that she had a dulcimer, okay? Y'all know what a dulcimer is, like a four-string mountain instrument? She had a dulcimer, and she had put in a, um, she had put in basically like a pickup, like that would be on Glenn or Sam's guitar. So she had electrified it, okay? And she was playing it through some little tiny amp, and she had detuned this dulcimer so that it was perfectly dissonant. And what I mean by that is this. I mean that you could not touch this dulcimer in any way and get any harmonic chord whatsoever. There was no agreement. It was utter dissonance. And if you were there, you know what I'm talking about. She, she began to play this dulcimer that was perfect dissonance, and she began to just sing the most dissonant and disheartening and sad and awful. I mean, it, there, when she began to sing, when she began to express, you know, whatever this was, the room just turned into chaos. I mean, you should go, you should ask the people who were there. It, it, the, the spirit in that room, it went to utter chaos. And it became clear to me after about 10 minutes of this, this poor woman, what she's actually doing is she's just, she is giving voice to the internal dialogue of her heart. And what she's saying is there is, there is no harmony. There is only dissonance. There is only discord. And um, when I was laying in bed that night, one of the things I realized is, for the most part that entire night, the only time there was hope, the only time there was life, and the only time that there was uh, redemption was when like Hannah or Glenn or Luke were singing. And other than that, it was, it was varying forms of dissonance. And what's the point? The point is this. There is harmony in heaven, and people who have heaven living on the inside of them, people who have a correct understanding of who the Lord is, harmony and, and agreement and, and, um, and cooperation begin to come out of their life, and it begins to infect every single thing that they do. Like, there's a real difference between light and darkness. It's, it's not theoretical. It's real. And if you don't believe me, just... I'll, I'll go find that, a YouTube video of dissonant woman. Here's what I know. Here's what I know about dissonant woman. Dissonant woman has not had... <laughs> dis, I, I'm trying to be generous. Dissonant woman has not had... It's concretely... I'll put hundreds of dollars on it. Yes, the pastor would be willing to gamble on this one. Dissonant woman has not had an encounter with the, the love and the affection and mercy of Jesus. Guaranteed. Because there was no harmony coming out. This is why it's such a big deal for us to have our minds renewed. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, I want you to come on up.